Hello, and welcome to the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast from Indy Star. I am Indy Star Pacers editor Nat Newell here with our Pacers insider, Dustin Dopierak. Uh, coming off the trade deadline, obviously, uh, we wanted to touch base again. Um, just first, uh, I mean, obviously, they didn't do a lot, if anything, during the trade deadline, but just give us your thoughts on uh, how things transpired. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was interesting that Kevin Pritchard made a point of basically coming out and tell us that he, telling us that he tried um, and that that he did take some swings uh, at some bigger name uh, trade targets and that those targets basically ended up staying at their at their places. I think obviously the uh, the one rumor that I think most people saw was that they had offered, um, I think, three first round draft picks for OG Ananobi. Um, again, he wouldn't certainly confirm that deal um, or the specifics of it or, or, or the attempt at that deal, um, but he sort of made a point of saying we we went out trying to be aggressive and then we pivoted uh, to just sort of acquire, trying to acquire assets. Um, and so I, I just thought it was interesting to me just how sort of uh, open and, and as transparent as, you know, possible that that uh, Kevin Pritchard tried to be because it seemed like and I mean that from a sense of he was obviously trying to send a message. Um, he wasn't just being transparent just to be transparent because he likes talking to the media and telling us what's up. Uh, he definitely seemed to want certain information out there um, to say that, hey, you know, we, we made an attempt. Uh, basically, we, we tried this, but we weren't going to get fleeced. We weren't going to, um, you know, give up too many young assets to get a veteran player. We, we weren't trying to push this just to get into the play in game uh, or, or just to skate into the back end of the playoffs. We didn't think it was worth it to, to lose anything that would cost us in the future. We were thinking long term, uh, but there were a couple targets we thought were worth it. And we made swings and we made offers that we felt were strong. And we didn't want to go stronger than that um, because this is where we thought we were. This is what we thought we should make move. And since we did not do that this is why you end up seeing um where basically like i was trying to come up with like the right like real life metaphor um for what they did because they were basically just handed something it was like okay like you had other friends who have like high-end furniture and one of them got kicked out of his uh, I don't know what one of your friends is going through a divorce and that's the nets uh and he got kicked out of his house he's going to a new apartment he's got to move everything um so like three different friends have to move stuff and basically like if you don't take this it's getting thrown away so would you like a jordan Wara? there's a power forward we have who isn't playing would you like to take him on off your hands just give us something that's basically nothing uh it's it's almost like writing you know like if you've ever bought a car from your parents and they make you give them a dollar so that you can notarize it without like putting it as a gift on your taxes you know that's what this was like i mean they, they got jordan Wara and george george hill without having to give up anything and they also got three second round picks um so they end up ultimately winning at the deadline ultimately they i guess they bought at the deadline but they bought for virtually nothing um and so it the one move they make ends up being you know on balance pretty smart i think there's some value to having george hill in the locker room it seems that they're going to also um get james johnson back uh you know i don't know when that's going to become official but they're pretty devoted to it and they sort of they really made a point of saying we want to re to bring james johnson back after they have to had to release him um and so that gives you really two uh veteran guys who've been around a lot of teams and a lot of good teams have have seen the playoffs george hill has seen the nba finals he's you know been on a lot of very very good basketball teams 
um, and the in Indiana and elsewhere. Uh, and and Jordan Ware, I think, really you know fits a need. I don't think he is your long term answer at power forward, but he could be. You know, you you can sh- throw him in there and see what it it looks like when he gets uh, you know twenty minutes a night to start at least somewhere in that range, and then and see if it builds from there. You know, a couple guys have pointed out that uh, that he's basically cooked the Pacers whenever he's played them and got some opportunity. Um, so you know, it, it ultimately turns out to be a win, but it's I, I thought interesting the extent to which Kevin Pritchard played out where he stands, where he sees this team. Also said again, same thing he said after the Miles Turner signing, that he likes this team, likes watching this team um, as much as any he's had. And I think he views it as something special that he has to protect, uh, that that there is, a, there is a chemistry with this group and a um, – just a uh, a synergy, I guess, uh, with this group that is important and something that 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 he wants to make sure is there and that he sticks around. And he adds to uh, and doesn't take away from. So I thought there was a lot of interesting things that we learned, even though ultimately the moves were not all that interesting. Yeah, I mean, Wara is fine. I mean, you're taking a flyer on a guy. They took a flyer on Naismith, and he's worked out on some level. I don't think he's a starter on a team that wins a playoff series, but he's definitely mm-hmm. a guy off the bench <laughs> on a team that wins sure. the playoff series. Wara um, mm-hmm. seems more like a slightly different version of O'Shea Brissett, you know, more scorer than anything else, but he can shoot threes, hasn't proven he can do anything else in the NBA. Um, has so, some size. I mean, I think that, I mean, yeah, it's still... That's yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely need that, as you've noted before. Yeah, it's just, I mean, like, it's small. Like, Aaron Niesmith bu- just busts it when he's rebounding, and he's six foot five. And so he's averaging four rebounds a game. You know, I mean, it's just at, at the end of the day, like obviously this isn't 2000 NBA when the power forward's 6'10 and the and the center is seven foot one. You know, he's not giving up as much size as he used to in the old days, but he's still 6'5. And, you know, you still want 6'7, 6'8, 6'9 at the four. And it's costing them on the boards. And they've, they've just been, you know, just been not good at rebounding at all, no matter how hard the guy fights. Uh, he, I mean, he's going to get some, and you have to give him credit. And like, you know, people always say, like, deep, you know, like rebounding is effort, and it, and it's partly effort, but it's height too. Like, it's it's a it's a three dimensional part of the game, and height is one of those dimensions. You know, the ball comes off the rim, and it is up there, and somebody has to jump up and get it. And you know, the guy who is taller is probably going to have a better chance of doing that. You know, like we we can say all we want about how how hard you can fight. Like, I can I can fight as hard as I want and not be you know called for fouls and throw elbows into Miles Turner's gut, and I'm not getting a rebound over him. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter how how bad I want it. You know, like I'm five foot eight. Like I'm not like I, I, I can want the rebound as bad as humanly possible. I'm not getting a rebound over Miles Turner. There's just no nothing I can do physically with my body. And like, you know, and, and that's the case with Aaron Neesmith when it comes to certain guys, uh, you know, when, when it comes to guys that are big enough, he can fight, he can get position, uh, you know, he can box out, you know, he can do everything that you that is supposed to be done. And that ball can go fly over him and he's not catching it. So that's it's it's still an issue. And Jordan Ward gives you three more inches and he's powerfully built guy. You know, I mean, that 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 dude's got muscle. So even if he's not a great defender, even if he's not necessarily a great rebounder, technically, there's just value in having a bigger dude. And that's going to lead to some rebounds. Um, You know, just it just is. And again, he might not, you know, get in there and be one of those like 
great trash the boards guys, but just this, something is going to make a difference. And you had to just try to get some more size that you could put at the four uh, so that you get more rebounds out of that position. The fives rebounded pretty well between Turner and Jackson and even Smith. Smith's rebounds numbers are better than I think a lot of people think because you don't watch him and think of somebody that's that gritty and nasty and whatever like that. But Jalen, Jalen Smith, when he's out there, gets rebounds. Um, but it's just, you know, again, I, I, they, they don't trust him all around at the four. Um, they, they don't trust him having to defend smaller guys. He hasn't shot it as well as he was supposed to. Um, so they all have ultimately sort of decided that he's a five in the modern game, um, but they, they haven't really just backfilled. And I mean, O'Shea Brissett does fine, um, but he's not a great rebounder either. And not a great defender either, a decent shooter, um, does some things pretty well, but, uh, you know, it, they they need a guy that fights as hard as Neesmith does on the boards and is bigger. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, War is uh, under contract for what three point five million or something like that next year, which in the NBA is uh, basically nothing. Um, yeah, quarters you find on your couch. Yeah, it's three point two million dollars. <laughs> and uh, Brissett is not under contract next year, so it means that you don't. Well, I think Brissett's a useful player. Um, mm. You're not in any situation where you need to bring him back, assuming that right. War. What he's shown with the Bucks in his limited time, um, so that's a benefit. Um, you know, George Hill. I just don't see where you're going to get minutes for him if I don't either. unless you no. really want to. Yeah, but I'm not sure that matters. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. I, I mean, they haven't found minutes for James Johnson, and they they love him. I mean, they 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 adore him, and I mean, and he is valuable. And, and that you know, w- when you're talking about the 15th, 16th, 17th guy, you know, n- no one has a 17 man rotation. It's insane. You know, you, you don't need one. Uh, 15 minute rotation. You got 15 guys up and two guys, you know, that are uh, that are two ways. You're, you're not playing 15 guys, you know. And so if you have you ultimately have those uh, lineup spots filled for emergencies, you know, like you're, you're going to have situations where guys get hurt. And obviously, James uh, has had to play a couple times this year when, when guys have gotten hurt, had to play point guard uh, when uh, when Halliburton and McConnell were out for a minute. That didn't go so well. But <laughs> you know, had to start at center when Miles Turner, you know, locked up with back spasms in the next game. Um, you know, so you, you never know when a guy's going to get thrown in there um, and he's just got to be functional. But he's got to be able to bring something when he's not playing. Um, you know, th- he's got to have some value on that bench. He's got to have some value in that locker room. Uh, and, you know, value comes from experience. Value comes from being able to walk up to Tyrese Halliburton and say, hey, man, you know, here's something maybe maybe you're not seeing or, or maybe you're not thinking about or, or, or you know, hey, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm seeing this out there, you know, like as, as I'm watching this, I don't know if you know that this guy's doing this to you or, or, or whatever. Um, and there's value. And I think that those guys have taken on I mean, James Johnson's in somebody's ear on a constant basis. Like, it's not like he's just at the end of the line and he's a cheerleader or whatever. I mean, like James Johnson is in somebody's ear and guys are meeting with James and like asking him, like, what do you see? You know, and like there's there's value there. I mean, he's practically another member of the coaching staff, um, you know, when it comes down to it. And those guys just respect the heck out of him. And I think George Hill will be in a similar scenario. And it'll be interesting to see two old guys uh, in the locker room together and what that's like and how those two get along. I mean, I have no idea if they've crossed paths or anything like that, um, but they're easy guys to get along with. And so I'm sure they'll be easy to get along together and there will be some kind of value in having uh, those kind of voices together but i mean i think you could throw george hill out there for 10 minutes if you have to you know if if there's a scenario where um you know you you get two point guards hurt at the same time and you need somebody to take up 10 minutes behind whoever's left 
um, you know, whether it's Nemhart or uh, or McConnell or Halliburton, if two of those guys go down at the same time, um, you know, you, you could use somebody else to handle the basketball and George Hill could be that guy. And, you know, you, you could still he's still spry enough to be functional and in limited minutes, you know, and in playing, you know, 10 a night or whatever, uh, or 15 a night or whatever behind uh, behind somebody who has to take on the reins for the night. And I will go on the record on the podcast. I think George Hill sometimes gets a uh, bad rap as the guy who was traded for Kawhi Leonard. The mm. Pacers were never taking Kawhi Leonard. They already had Danny Granger and Paul George. And this is probably the most important thing. I don't think they make the Eastern Conference Finals with Kawhi Leonard on the roster instead of George Hill. George Hill was a really, really, really good basketball player uh, right. when they for him. Um, and uh, it took uh, Kawhi Leonard a couple of years to, to develop into the superstar. Would you undo that trade uh, if you could? Obviously you would, but I just mm. need to step up for uh, the trade in that uh, I don't think the Pacers make the Eastern Conference Finals without George Hill those two years. Um, That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, I mean, the important point, like you said, is you already have George and you have Granger. Where, where, where does Kawhi Leonard develop? Where does he become that guy? You know, how does he get the minutes that turn him into what Kawhi Leonard is? And obviously, he got those minutes in San Antonio. So, in, in the twenty twenties, you would have found the minutes for the three of those for three guys like that in twenty ten. Yeah. You didn't. That's just the way basketball was, and that's you know, yeah, you want to blame the Pacers for not having that kind of foresight. Um, mm-hmm. That's fine, but I don't know that that's reasonable to me. But uh, um, let's uh, move on to the. You mentioned uh, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. Uh, it seems to me you got to play at least Isaiah Jackson at this point and find out what you have. I don't know exactly what that means. If that means Miles Turner plays five minutes less a night, um, I think that's what you do. But I, I don't know. What's your thoughts on uh, the young guys? You 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 know you mentioned uh, Jalen Smith already, but but what are your thoughts on the best way for the Pacers to handle those guys given where they're at today? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you you got to you got to dial it down with down. Dial it down with Daniel Tice. I mean, you just do. You know, it, it, with with things going the direction they're going. I mean, I, I get the idea of getting him some minutes and some time and finding out what you have because I mean, I think he still is under contract for at least another year, um, and he does give you some that the rest of the guys don't. But you know, there's just really since they went to the small lineups, um, you know, Jackson Jackson saw a minute cut then when you, when you moved Smith to the five to, to backup five, um, and you know he saw his minutes cut and they were basically going going every other and you can live with that i mean if if tice wasn't thrown into this situation you were getting you know jalen smith 18 minutes a night one night and isaiah jackson 18 minutes a night the other night uh that's not the worst thing um i mean i think everybody jumps on the idea of it being like it's really important to make sure it's jackson because jackson has the most athletic potential you know basically like Jackson's the guy that's running the fastest and jumping, jumping the highest. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, you you want to see what that looks like, um, you know. But there are there there are talents that Jalen Smith has um, as well, and and there are things about the, the Jalen Smith is definitely better at. I mean, Jalen actually rebounds better, um, or at least he was the last time I ran the numbers. It's been a minute, um, and Smith has played even less than Jackson has uh, since Tice came back. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you got to make sure you're, you're keeping Isaiah Jackson on the floor. You, you can't go five six games you know three four games without isaiah jackson playing any minutes um you know it's an issue and obviously i think it stood out the other night uh you know friday um when you throw isaiah jackson in there in the fourth quarter and he scores 14 minutes in the fourth by him you know, and, and just just that 
you know, just in that period. Uh, and he plays 12 minutes and he got five, four or five rebounds or something like that. And like on five or six shooting. And you can clearly see that like this guy gets a lot done on raw athleticism and his athleticism is really, really good. And, and, and so he's even said, we've talked to him a bunch and he's a really honest kid um, and said, you know, I, I just figured out, I just had to just be me. Um, you know, I had to just run, be energetic, fly around, you know, run after loose balls and, you know, go up at the rim and do above the rim stuff, you know, go grab rebounds, go block shots, go dunk the basketball. You know, that's just basically just do my job. Don't think about doing 10 other things that aren't in my realm. Just do those things really, really well. And those things are really good. And he, he just flashes so much that I think you think, well, obviously it's got to be Isaiah Jackson because he flashes more than anybody else. Um, but I don't think I, I don't think you can, can dr- throw Jalen Smith out yet. But I think you got to be smarter with what you're doing with Daniel Tice. You know, you you, you just I mean, I, I get the idea of getting him rolling and getting him activated. And I, there's definitely scenarios where it makes more sense to play Daniel Tice than anybody else. And he's impressed me. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there, there's been a few moments where it's been like, all right, well, one. I mean, you get screened by that guy, you're feeling it next week. Um, and you get boxed out by that guy, you're feeling it next week. I mean, that is a big dude. Um, and he's got a lot of skill. You know, he is more skilled than you think to look at him. Handles the ball okay. Shoots it pretty well. Uh, just I mean, did drives, you know, drive and dunks really from three the three-point line in. You know, just, just went the distance and nobody got in his way and he threw down. So he's a coordinator guy. He's a useful guy. I mean, I don't like the idea of throwing him out. I don't like the idea of, I don't know, cutting him. Um, but, you know, if you could have turned him into some assets, it would have been a good idea. Uh, and I imagine they probably tried. Um, but, I mean, you know, uh, they could have used that. They could have used that move, I think, would, would be to trade Tice to a def- to a contender and get something out of him that, you know, some some assets, some draft picks, uh, stuff like that, I think could have really helped them. But if you're going to have him, he has some value. But, you know, when you're losing, you, you got to find minutes for the younger guys and you got to find minutes, I think, for both of them, because you just at some point you're going to have to make a decision there. Um, and if it's not this year, if things are heading in the direction that they now seem to be heading, that you're not going to have a postseason uh you you want to get closer to making that call but i don't think you want to know like you better know for sure i think you you better be certain which one you want and which one fits for you and i, I don't think it's an easy call um what, what what which one you want smith or jackson i i can i lean towards jackson at this point but i want to see a little bit more of jalen smith before i know is that too because you're giving him a lot of money right now um and if you're going to move him you want to be able to move him for something you don't want to be able to th- you don't want to be throwing that guy for for pennies on the dollar either uh, Tice uh, is $9.1 million next year, guaranteed. Uh, there's a club option for $9.5 million the following year. I can't imagine him, uh, the Pacers, picking up that option, but he's got two years left on his contract at a reasonable figure. Uh, I assumed that they were playing him because they wanted to trade him and they wanted to make sure everybody knew that he was healthy and could play. Obviously, sure. that didn't work out. But at this point, I think, yeah, you gotta you got to look at what uh, – I, I, you can't. Wouldn't cut him, but you got to hope that you can move him next year. Um, yeah, you can't. You can't let to, to this. I mean, to, to stick on this point real quick to, before we go to the next one. I mean, I think in the middle of Kevin's press conference on Friday, uh, you know, he was asked about Goga and why he didn't fit, and he he lamented, you know, that he didn't really get a lot of opportunity, and and Pritchard took took uh, responsibility for that. He basically said, "We kept getting centers. We kept being given centers, and sort of talked about it like uh, this was sort of an uncontrollable thing that they just they just got these in gluts, and then next thing you know, they they couldn't play any." You know that there there weren't enough minutes for all of them. Um, 
which is true, but it's like, okay, like, well, now you have your cautionary tale. You know, you have a sense of what can happen, you know, how you can let somebody sort of rust um, when you get uh, when you get too many guys to the same position and you don't make a point uh, to make sure that they all get time to develop and you don't make a point to, to develop the young guys. Um, and so that can happen for Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. They, they can be in the same situation as Goga in a couple of years um, if you let, you know, guys like Daniel Tice get all the minutes. Uh, it can go that direction. So they've got to be really smart about that. I, I don't, I mean, I think they, they're showing signs that they're being smarter about that. But I think I, and if there's one thing the fan base is bothered by right right now, it's the fact that Daniel Tice is getting so many minutes. And I, I get it. Um, like, I, I think you got to get him sometime. Um, it requires you to be really creative. It requires you to rotate a lot. Um, and you know, that seems to be the smartest way to do it right now is, you know, one, one day this is the backup. The next day this, it's this guy. The next day it's this guy. Maybe that's the best way to do it. But um, you you just can't let those two young guys rust because you might be you, you might be in a situation where they're go go all over again and two or three years from now you're cutting them for nothing. Yeah, looking statistically, uh, uh, Isaiah Jackson on a per thirty six minute is, per thirty six minutes is actually sixth on the team in scoring sixteen point two. Uh, not a surprise behind Heald, Matherin, Halliburton, Turner. Um, of course, the, the surprise to me was that the one person right ahead of him is Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith's averaging 18 points per 36. Um, he is third on the team in rebounds per 36 at 9.3. Again, as you noted, number one uh, is Jalen Smith at 11, um, and then Miles Turner at 9.6. I don't want to get too worked up about per 36 minutes, just, you know, just because... There's Isaiah, a reason you're not getting those 36 minutes. Right. Isaiah Jackson is uh, not playing 36 minutes. Maybe if he plays 36 minutes a game, he's not doing this. But uh, sure. uh, but yeah. it is worth noting from a just here's how efficient or here's sort of what he is as a player uh, right now. Mm. I mean, the other thing you got to look at, are they just better off giving Smith and Jackson time at power forward, even though that's not yeah. best for helping the team win? Because, I mean, I – you had you played Jalen Smith last year. I would he was good last year. Um, you kind of got to wonder: Did they not see something they should have in him? It's not like the contract they gave him is massive. You also wonder if he's a guy who wouldn't be that hard to move if you needed to. Again, the first thirty-six numbers are good, um, and uh, his uh, um, you know, and he and he can he hasn't shot threes well this year. He did not shoot threes well before he came to the Pacers. Maybe that was a small sample size fluke, and maybe that's what his uh, sort of, you know, role long term in the NBA re- revolves around. But uh, but I do think you got to know what you you got to understand what you got in those in, in those two guys and figure out who's playing and who's not, because it doesn't do you any good, as you've noted, to, to you know, to play these guys five minutes a night or whatever. Um, yeah. And I think you can play them together in the second unit. I mean, if, if you if you don't like what they give you playing next to Miles Turner fine but i think there's some I mean, and they've started to do it like you, you've seen a couple occasions especially in games that were going sideways um them playing jackson and smith together and i and i, and I think that's doable um i, I think that's doable it, it, even if you think okay well i need somebody spreading the floor at the four uh four miles turner because he's got this big offensive role and it's really important to make sure that you're spacing the floor so that he can do what he needs he can he can get buckets on rolls to the bat basket and you're not clogging the lane up for the pick and roll with those with Halliburton and, and, and Turner. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in situations where he can pick a pop and all those kinds of things and it keeps the floor spaced. I, I get that. 
and, and you know you, that, that that might mean okay well you don't put smith and turner together or you don't put jackson and turner together but you can put smith and jackson together you know and and get back to running a sec full second unit I and mean, they haven't been running a full second unit since halliburton got hurt you know it, it hasn't been a scenario where you know at the six or five verse you know five or six minute mark in the first first quarter you're putting in five new guys and you're leaving them in until you know midway through the second period I mean that's how they were functioning before Halliburton got hurt and they haven't been doing that it's been less minutes for Brissett and it's like okay well you know maybe that's the move is is that it's it's Jackson and uh it's Jackson and it's Smith and it's Matherin and it's Duarte and it's McConnell and that's your five you know that that's your second unit and you go back to that um and it spaces things out and it, and it, and it you know gives you the minutes break you need for the first team guys um and you have two very different looking units you have a small lineup that starts and you have a bigger lineup that that is your second unit uh I, I think that's doable I mean I, I think they've seemed fine to me in the periods but obviously in, in a lot of those cases the game's been decided um and you know they're they're down 10 or they're down 12 or whatever and they're you know just trying to fight back and make it respectable but they're not going to win the game um it's been been more of that scenario for the most part when those guys been in but i think that's i think an area where you can go even if you're not looking to put one of them in as the starting power forward you can make one of them the backup power forward and the other one the backup center and play that way well the other thing is even if they is even if it's not the optimum defensive mm-hmm. alignment or whatever who cares if this point i mean you're not yes. making the playoffs it seems like at the rate they're going um if it, you're not quite as strong a team i think if any if you're not making the playoffs who that, mm. To me, that doesn't matter. That that's a that's a positive to playing them together. Um, yeah. But uh, let's we let's touch quickly. Uh, the other thing that the Pacers added uh, at the uh, at the trade deadline was three second round picks. I find the whole second round pick, frankly, I find the whole draft pick uh, thing fascinating. Um, mm. I just ran some numbers a while back, and and what you find is, if it's not a top ten pick, it's really uh, hit and miss on what you're what you're getting. Obviously. You can get good players after the top ten, but right. but the idea that you're definitely going—it's a—you know what that asset is—is is nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just don't. And no. then second round picks are obviously again, lots of good players have come out of the second round or as undrafted free agents, certainly. But you have no idea. I don't think anyone knows who those guys are because you t- every, you're excited about every guy you take. Um, right. But. First round picks are an asset to trade. Second round picks too are something, you know, maybe you're talking a deal with someone and they don't like quite what you're offering them. But if you can give them a second round pick, then all of a sudden you can get the deal done. Uh, The Mm -hmm. last number I saw is like one out of 10 second round picks developed into a NBA regular. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that number. and I don't remember what the the definition of regular was, but I mean, it was a useful player. But then the next, I want to know is how many of those guys became useful players with the team that drafted them. Um, mm-hmm. So sure. on yeah. one hand, if I was running an NBA team, I would trade every draft pick I had except for my lottery picks um, and not ever care. But it is useful to have those, you know, have those second round picks as an asset to throw into deals and make, and, and heck at this trade deadline, you saw re- really good uh, NBA players getting traded for second round picks. Of course, it was five second round picks, but all the more reason to accumulate uh, more yeah. of them. Um, mm. And then, of course, uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, real quick, just give us your thoughts on adding those second rounders. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I, I, we still haven't seen when they are, right? We know that ESPN reported um, 
One is this year, but it's like the best of Milwaukee's picks, I think. And I mm-hmm. think Milwaukee has three of them, but I, I, it was really hard to follow. I actually put a story together and published mm-hmm. it. And as soon as I published it, I realized, you know, maybe I don't know what I'm, maybe that's not accurate. They definitely, it seems like, got their pick. They traded a second rounder in 2025, I want to say, although it might be 2024, to Milwaukee. And they got that pick back. And then there's another second rounder in there that I'm, I'm not 100% sure where it's, it's coming from. I did my best to figure out what they are, but I did not, I'm not 100% confident in what I've seen. So. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, they haven't been straightforward about those. Um, but no, I think it, it, it's just it's fascinating. I, mean, I think that it was funny just to hear everybody talk about it. Rick Carlisle was like, well, where we're getting all these picks. Is this like when the government just prints money? Like there's just all, I mean, like obviously they, they, exist eternally in the future i mean it could be you know like you could trade a 2032 pick if you really want to i mean if somebody wants it uh and you have no idea what that means and so you know you you never know what those players are going to be obviously again you know the pacers had andrew nemhart who's uh, the first of second round picks and they they like him so um you know you you can get a useful player in there and i think it's just it is compiling assets and you can trade it to somebody else and sometimes and and like i think um what uh, what I think was sort of notable uh, about this deal is that there are guys who are assets because they will never play for you. You know, they're they're an asset because they serve no basketball value. Um, you know, Juan Pablo Valet, like just like if, if some cases, if I just want to offload something to you and I need you to give me something, it's nice for you to have something that isn't really worth anything. Um, and like it, it, you might have a second round pick that you're going to use to, you know, draft some guy from Europe that you never plan on seeing, you know, that you're just going to park out there and, and leave there. So because you just can't take on too many guys, um, it's just just all the moving pieces there, like a second round pick uh, allows you to do that. Sometimes when you when you have to take somebody or, um, you know, like you have to take on roster space or whatever, or you just have to be able to make a move. Um you know, like it's liquid. I, I think that that's a term that Kevin Pritchard used. And I thought that was just sort of a fascinating way to look at it. Like, like yeah, it, it can be a roster building mechanism. It can be uh, a pick where you get a guy. It can be a pick where you just, um, you know, like you, you add guys that you're not really going to use or, or you're going to move them on to somebody else. It's, uh, it's just, just fascinating. It was like, Hey, we're going to give you five of these. And it's like, well, when somebody really wants to give somebody up, when somebody really wants to get rid of somebody, um, and just want, we'll take something or just take flyers. I mean, like in some cases, it's literally like taking a, a scratch off lottery ticket. Um, you know, you're not going to get rich off of it necessarily, but you can get a few bucks for it. You know, like that's kind of what, what it seems like, uh, some of this was, um, for, for some of these teams. And so it, it, it makes sense. I think then to build up and stockpile assets that you can throw at somebody uh when you're trying to take somebody off their hands it's it it, it is just fascinating all the moving parts um of, of how this particular deadline worked and, and the lessons i think the gms learned uh going into future years about you know what picks can get you yeah and obviously there are have been any number of uh excellent uh, uh players who came out of the second round it's just uh i mean starting with the guy who's won two mvps and, and nikola jokic but Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, if everybody, anyone wants to know anything about Juan Pablo Valet, obviously, uh, go Google my name mm-hmm. and then IndyStar.com. I did a five things to know when the Pacers acquired him mostly as a joke, but you know, thousands of people have now read that story, which is kind of yeah. funny. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, like you say, it doesn't seem like he did go to camp with the nets. I think once 
mm-hmm. and it's an opportunity for him to play against better competition and get better and then go back to his team in Europe. Um, and I don't think he's a huge player there, but it is just funny to see his name get get tossed around. Mm-hmm. And as you said, you weren't even aware of his existence. Um, Didn't know but, he was a guy. Didn't know he was a thing. Didn't know the Pacers had him. <laughs> and I had completely forgotten about him uh, until uh, I saw his name pop up again. So, so yeah, that's just crazy. But uh, um, we'll wrap up here with uh, just sort of a quick look at where the Pacers are. Um, they are sixth right now in the lottery. Um, they're a game and a half, um, uh, or I don't know if you say ahead or behind when you're talking about this stuff. Orlando yeah. uh, is uh, a game and a half worse than the Pacers right now. Um, and then you get into the, the the Detroit, Charlotte are 10 games worse than the Pacers. So they're not getting anywhere close to them. They can still move up to, to fifth. Um, yes. uh, fifth gives you, according to tankathon.com, fifth gives you a 10.5 point percent chance at the number one pick, uh, 42.1 at the top four. Uh, Pacers are currently sixth, which is a 9% shot at number one, 37.2 at the top four. I would think it's worth getting. I mean, obviously, it's worth moving up one more spot, but it's not a huge deal. Um, right. You would, you would uh, the teams behind them are the Lakers, who don't own the pick. So you would think the and the Lakers are making efforts to get better. Chicago is the uh, the Lakers are one and a half games better than the Pacers. Uh, Chicago is two games better. Uh, again, they don't own their pick. There's no reason for them not to try to be good this year. Uh, and then you get to Toronto and Washington. Um, the uh, Toronto's two games better. Washington's two and a half. Neither of those teams seems like they're trying to get worse. Um, so you've got to, you know, unless the Pacers take off again, um, then you've got to think they're pretty secure in that five, six spot. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on what the heck happened? I mean, Halliburton goes down and that made sense. Why it didn't make sense that they got that bad, but it made sense that they weren't any good. Halliburton's back. And I mean, just what, from what you've seen, um, what, I mean, what, any thoughts on why they haven't been able to get back to a 500 team, at least uh, with Halliburton? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's several pieces to it. I mean, I think some of it is things that they were already not good at. Um, they, they have a low margin for error because they're just not a good defensive team. And I, I think that's what, what's becoming more and more obvious is just whatever they do, they're just not great defensively. Um, they have a couple, you know, their best two defenders are puppies uh, in in Nemhard and Neesmith, and I think those guys are doing a pretty good job. But like they're they're not locking, they're not shutting guys down all game. I mean they're 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 trying, they're fighting. You can see they're getting after it. They you see they take it really seriously, um, and I think they're going to be really good defenders long term. But you know like that's you're you're throwing out guys who have never been starters before, and every night they're playing the best guys in the world. And so it's like, okay, like how good is that going to be? And there's just a lot of guys in this team, you know, I, I mean, like Halliburton's fine as far as he's really good at reading passing angles. He's like, he's not a great, you know, man to man defender, but he's really good at stealing passes. Um, and, but just the whole collective isn't great. Again, the size is an issue. You know, when you only got one guy taller than, um, six five uh you know out there in your starting lineup you know you have some issues especially rebounding the basketball um so it's just not a great defensive team and that means you got to score a lot um and i think you know obviously i i think uh, there's been a few things i mean even you know while while halliburton has been running around well making a lot of plays you know as he was still couldn't straighten out his left elbow and it was an issue shooting the basketball um especially shooting from three early on i think he was seven from 27 to 22 to start so, you know, I mean, he's got to be able to hit shots to really set the whole thing up, even though he's got that that jumper that's funky already. It goes in almost 40 percent of the time. 
And when he's a 40% three-point shooter, he becomes a much tougher cover all the way around. Uh, you know, when you've got to take away his driving lanes and and worry about where he's passing the ball, uh, it, it becomes even more dip- difficult when, you know, you can take all that away and he can hit a step back three over top of you. Uh, when he can't hit that, you know, he becomes easier to defend. And I think that's that's definitely an issue that's, that has held him back offensively um, and has held them back as a team. But, I mean, I don't think they're doing a that poor of a job of scoring the basketball um, I, I think there's been some, you know, issue in terms of getting everybody right, you know, just just, you know, recreating um, the same kind of chemistry. Just just, you know, he, they they were just had so much momentum and it just seemed like they were just figuring things out, like they were just sort of learning how to do, you know, identifying a problem, fixing it and getting right. And for a long time, and that's what was going so well. And especially they had really figured out fourth quarters in that stretch where they won eight out of 10. And Tyrese really figured out how to close people. Um, and it was just like, so you lose them for that long and then you jumble them back up and they just have not been on the same trajectory. So that's kind of the meta explanation. But the biggest thing is just they're just not guarding anybody. Um, not well enough. I mean, I think they're, they've only held maybe two teams under 110 uh, throughout this stretch. And, you know, like it's not like every once in a while they're stumbling upon on a pretty decent defensive game and they've had some really bad ones you know where they're giving up 130 or 135 and you know the other night to to washington um you know was 127 or whatever and you know 70 percent in the first half is nuts even in the nba you know where it's a skilled game it's a scorers league you know like and, and you could play great defense and still give up uh 100 you know 110 points um people teams don't shoot 70 for a half that's <laughs> wild I mean, 75, 15 out of 20 in the first quarter. I mean, like, I mean, they, they were still in the 70s in the third, and they finally drifted in the fourth a little bit. But, you know, 70s wild. And it's just, that, you know, and then it's just, they keep saying the same thing. you got to have more defensive presence, and they just don't. You know, they they like from night to night, they don't have enough defensive presence. They're not taking anybody out of their game at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I think some some teams are used to them. Some teams know what they're looking for with them. Some teams, you know, have have scouted them pretty well offensively. But it's just, you know, they 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 lack margin for error because if they're not getting 120 every night, they have a hard time winning. You know, I mean, they got to score 120 because that's how many they're giving up. Um, and for a while, that was OK. For a while, they were scoring that much and the pace when it was everything. But like teams have figured out how to take them out of their pace. And, and when they sc- and again, when you score, it's tougher. to It's tougher to run, you know, when when they can get out and run because they got, uh, you know, they got a bunch of stops, then they're great. And but if they if if they can't get stops and they can't get defeat, like cause they can run off defensive rebounds, they can run off made baskets sometimes. Um, but you know, you can really, they, they don't need steals. They, they don't have to have open four turnovers to turn those into breaks. If they get a defensive rebound in the right place, they can usually run. Um, but they're not getting enough defensive rebounds. They're not getting enough stops. It's not losing enough transition game. They're pretty good in the half court, but they're not spectacular in the half court. Um, and so they're beatable, you know, they're just, they're just very beatable right now. And they just, they keep getting beat. So, uh, it's, they, there's a lot of things have to get right. And it's got to start on the defensive end. If they're going to, if they intend to win games, obviously, as we're discussing for, for tank reasons, uh, it might not be wise for them to win any games, um, you know, down the stretch at all. But if, if they do intend to still win more basketball games, they've got to play with more defensive presence. Well, I just ran a simulated lottery on tankathon. It, the Pacers ended up number two, uh, this is a great uh, simulated lottery because the Lakers got the number one pick. Orlando oh, pick, and you, one of the big four terrible teams until number four at Charlotte. So I think we ought to just lock this in. The Laker pick goes to New Orleans. They'll be happy. Uh, the Pacers can take uh, Scoot Henderson. And, uh, you know, again, I'm just for the 
for all the karma out there, obviously Wembenyana would be great for Indy Star's business, but I'm not greedy. I'm willing to take the second pick. So yeah. Um, there you go. So uh, anyway, that's uh, that's it for us now. Um, we will be back uh, again probably less uh, often, and then we have been just because there will be less going on with the Pacers. But uh, but please keep going back to IndyStar.com uh, to get everything you need to know on the Pacers. Thanks for listening. 